you need to talk to people, talk to people, talk to people. Life is a mosaic. And with every discussion, you add a piece more of the mosaic. Welcome to Redefiners, a podcast designed for daring leaders who are changing what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. I'm Nanas Motoshami, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates. And I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive and also a leadership advisor. Nanas and I have spent our careers exploring what works and what's next in the realm of leadership. In each episode, we ask our guests deep and provocative questions about how they've challenged the norms and how they've redefined their organizations and ultimately themselves as leaders. Also, you can answer this one question. How are you redefining your leadership? Perhaps the boldest question yet. Conversations that matter. Inspiration for us all, whether you're kicking off your career or crafting your legacy. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our end-of-season review of Redefiners. I cannot believe it's the end of the year already, how the last 12 months have flown by, and what an incredible year it's been, Clark. What a year! And we thought the previous two years were unbelievable. This one's a record, that's for sure. So true, Clark. Listen, Naz, what are some of the highlights you take away from 2022? I had the privilege of working with the boards of two very large healthcare companies and their CEO succession. Fantastic opportunity and what a way to have impact in my sector. I'm delighted that both companies now have new CEOs. Interestingly, one went internal, one went external. And I have to say the process, while I learned a lot, I realized that actually I don't necessarily have the best skill set when it comes to helping new CEOs transition in their role. That's usually when I get my much better qualified colleagues involved. And Clark, I have to say, I kind of didn't want to give it over. I felt a little bit left out. And so I have started a coaching course. So I'm super excited going into next year to continue working with my clients and candidates on the transition piece and really help make sure that people that we place are successful and, and equipped to do their jobs well. Nanaz Motoshami redefining herself. There you go. I'm impressed. What about you, Clark? It's been a very busy year for you. Well, I got to tell you, I had to do some redefining as well. I never imagined I would author a book. And what I learned was the time it took to write the book was nothing compared to the expectations of promoting it and talking about it. So I've had a bit of a roadshow from Calgary and Dallas and Houston and Boston to London, Madrid, Milan, meeting with largely groups of board of directors to understand how does sustainability fit into the board agenda versus management's agenda. So that's been the professional side of life and a lot of travel. And how do you feel about closing out the year and starting the new year, Clark? What's ahead for you in 2023? Well, this level of uncertainty, which is both positive and negative, positive about businesses going through transformation. So we're still really busy, regardless of inflation or talk of recessions, because they need leaders for transformation. So this has kept us super busy. I think we will remain busy next year. But equally, if we faced all that pandemic uncertainty and anxiety, it's just shifted to geopolitics and economic uncertainty. I started my career where different parts of the world had different levels of acceleration economically or deceleration. And only in the last decade has the whole world gone up and to the right. We're back into different parts of the world growing or not growing at different rates. So I understand that, but a lot of people don't. So I think this sense of uncertainty going to next year and different rates of growth or non-growth 
is something the world's not accustomed to, and we have to help people understand what this means either for greater opportunities and greater challenges. What about you? What's, what's your reflection coming into next year? It resonates, Clark. Everything you say resonates really well. I was at an industry conference about two months ago in October and led a CEO panel discussion on the topic of how do you lead in times of change and uncertainty? And it was completely oversubscribed. It was by far the most popular panel discussion because everyone wants to know what do you do when you don't know what next year holds and when there is so much uncertainty. Clearly, we've had the privilege of talking with some incredible leaders who've given advice about how they redefined their businesses or they're navigating through challenging times. And while the world's come back pretty much from the pandemic, thanks to unprecedented quick response from vaccine developers and companies and some governments, we've also had some formidable challenges this past year. We've had frustrating supply chain issues the war and the tragedy in the Ukraine, the resulting food and energy crises that we still endure, the great resignation in its moment, inflation, and now looking at recessions in different parts of the world are just some of the issues that leaders are kind of thinking about and trying to rethink their corporate priorities and strategies. There are obviously other issues that came up this past year as well. The point around purpose and culture is one that we heard from many of our guests that's particularly important in times of uncertainty and particularly with younger generations. And then the evolution of boards and tech transformation came up quite a bit as well. And I think if we think about our guests more specifically, several really made me think differently about how I lead and how I advise and we advise leaders in the companies we work with in more volatile times. So I want to revisit a couple of those conversations and highlight some of the key learnings with you in today's episode. Let's do it, Clark. So let's start with the top issue, the issue that you based your book on, sustainability. A lot of our guests talked about this topic, and it's something that talent, investors, and customers are really demanding. It's become critical to business as leaders see it really as a competitive advantage, not just a, a nice to say. So let's hear from Q Song Lee, the former CEO at Carlyle Group. When you have an ESG mindset to look for more for better supply chains. And when you have an ESG mindset, it enables you to recruit talent and keep talent because they like what the company is doing. When you think about raising financing where your cost of capital actually goes down, you can lower emissions targets, which we put in place at our portfolio companies. Why wouldn't you do that? It drives performance. It's not a topic. It's not a check the box. It's not a metric that we're trying to shoot for. It is a mindset and a cultural thing where it's integral to mm. our approach to say, how do we partner with companies to make them better? I love Q's comment about it being a mindset that drives performance. And to his point about why wouldn't someone adopt an ESG mindset, well, CEO of AXA Insurance, Thomas Burbell, had some great insight for anyone who might still be on the fence when it comes to sustainability. The fence-sitter model is not a very sustainable model because you can hide in the short term, but you cannot hide in the medium term. Um, at the end of the day, when we talk about sustainability, we don't talk about what is the check that you have filled in or what are the very nice slides that you have produced. It's about results. And so as an investor, as an underwriter, I will want to know from you, okay, what's your plan? How exactly do you get there? Which initiative, which measurement, which time frame? So the fence-sitter has to declare him or herself very quickly and you will be pulled 
down from the fence. So it is not an advisable and sustainable strategy to sit on the fence. Come down and play the game. You're just wasting your time. Have an ESG mindset. Partner with companies to make them better. Come down off the fence and play the game. Stop wasting your time. I mean, great advice from two leaders who've invested heavily when it comes to sustainability. We also spoke with two incredible leaders this past year at the forefront of embedding sustainability into their businesses. Chief Sustainability Officer at Google, Kate Brandt, and CSO and Head of ESG at Cognizant, Sophia Mendelson. Kate and Sophia are featured in my book, Sustainable Leadership, and both had a lot to say when it comes to leading and driving sustainability at scale. Clark, I loved that conversation. It was a fantastic conversation. And Sophia had such an interesting perspective about how to reframe the question of sustainability when it comes to business impact. I was in a job interview, and which was a really pivotal interview for me. And the interviewee asked, so if you get this job, how are you going to reduce our impact on climate change? And I said, that's the wrong question. Your first question should be, how can we reduce climate change's impact on our business? Because answering that question will require you to know what elements of your value chain and strategy are most at risk. And knowing that will provide the business case to get back to your original question. What can I do? What can my brand do? What can my CEO office do? You know, during the conversation, we also talked about the idea of moonshots, which is about taking bold, transformative action and disruptive innovation to achieve exponential progress. And Google's known for taking moonshots, and sustainability is for sure an area where they continue that type of next-level future thinking. We talked with Kate about one of those moonshot projects called Tidal, which is an underwater camera system designed to bring visibility to our ocean ecosystems so we can better understand and protect them. Well, we absolutely need our mood shotters. And as you've pointed out, you know, this has certainly been a focus for us at Google for many years. We even have formerly known as Google X, now X, which you know, is our moonshot lab, which is where projects like Tidal, you know, come from. And I think that also it's important to not only have parts of the business that have that dedicated space, but also to bring that in, you know, to the core of our strategy. And this has very much been something that we've thought about for a long time as we think about sustainability at Google. What are our risks? What are our opportunities? But really, coming back to the point I made earlier, where are we uniquely positioned to lead? Where are we uniquely positioned to drive value and to drive change? And so I, I think we have very much taken that lens. And we haven't been afraid to set goals when we don't always know exactly how we're going to get there. My big takeaway from that conversation is that they're both starting with questioning how sustainability actually relates to the overall business strategy, because sustainability is not a one-size-fits-all issue. So each organization needs to figure out where they can make an impact and how they can lead. 100% agree. Again, figuring out the best way to integrate ESG and sustainability is part of your core business strategy. And then it's just starting. Have the first step. That's, I think, where the most successful sustainable leaders really get going. I couldn't agree with you more. It's to drive and scale sustainability. Organizations need strong leaders, not only to lead the change, but leaders who are able to get others fired up and on board. And in our conversation with Carlisle Group co-founder and co-chairman David Rubenstein, he talked about the importance of communication as one of those key attributes of great leaders. You can't be a leader without followers, yeah. and you have to attract followers. How do you attract followers? You have to communicate well, and you do that either by writing well or speaking well or by leading by example. Communication is key. You need people aligned, 
and on board to help accomplish any sort of large-scale vision. Now, to accomplish more audacious goals, we might need to consider some new ideas and models when it comes to mobilizing teams. And we had one guest this year who talked about that very thing. Do you remember Henry Timms, the president for the Lincoln Center of Performing Arts? Well, he shared his concept of new power and how that's being driven by the changing expectations, the technology, and the social dynamics of our times. He also talked about Gen Z's expectations to participate and not just to be expected to do what they're told. What new power really is, is the way about thinking about how you mobilize that participation. How do you create a context to take advantage of the fact that you have all these people wanting to do more and find a common cause for them? And so new power, you know, in a way is an explanation for many of the things which have been the kind of the phenomena which have defined our age. If you think about, you know, the social movements, you're seeing this new power playing out in social movements, you're seeing it playing out in business. You, you mentioned Airbnb, but but think about Facebook. Facebook is nothing without our participation, all of us. It, it is literally an empty vessel without the, the contributions of data that that we all make. So across all of our worlds, we're seeing new power play out more and more and more. And in terms of kind of, if you think about redefining, right, the theme of your podcast, Every leader, every institution who is listening is typically going to be pretty good at old power. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got to where they are. The challenge is how do you get good at new power? How do you build that suite of skills? I find in that sense of new leadership approaches, Henry talks about getting consensus, participation, building momentum. And if you visualize traditional hierarchy with the CEO or the leader at the top, I now see that ladder collapsing into a bridge where people are learning alongside each other. And I think it fits so well into this next gen of leadership. One guest we spoke with this year, who's tasked with leading through consensus to build momentum, is Director General of the World Trade Organization, Dr. Ngozi Ongojo Iwela. Uh, she's doing it on a global scale. She's building consensus to get 164 countries to agree on global trade, climate change, fisheries, the ocean, reform. I mean, she's living it with lots of countries around the world, not just the company she might run. Yeah, that blew my mind. I mean, can you imagine getting 164 countries, each with their own agendas and priorities to actually agree on something? I mean, I can't even get my family to agree on what to watch on TV on a Saturday night. And maybe it's because of that need for consensus that she's got such an interesting vantage point when it comes to sustainability and climate change. We're trying to solve problems of the global commons. If you think about it, the pandemic, climate change, even international security. There's no one country that can solve climate change or member uh, on its own of the pandemic. It needs global solidarity, people coming together. I think she has a great point of it takes all of us to make an impact on sustainability, climate change, or any other issue. And that brings a lot about diverse thinking and skill sets to the table, this consensus building. We talked a lot about diversity over the past two seasons on Redefiners, and it's been shown time and again, diversity isn't something we should do. It's also good business. And the data doesn't lie. Stockholder value, productivity, profits, consensus, they all increase when we embrace diversity. So true, Clark. Our conversation with the former chair, president, and CEO of Jamba Juice, my niece's favorite juice company, James D. White, about his experience as a Black CEO was really insightful. I mean, he talked about how he uses diversity to scale success by actually changing the talent model in his organizations, especially when it comes to promoting diverse talent. 
one of the things that I talk about often is there is a tendency for people to ask black executives to prove it again. And as I've grown in my career and can affect that environment for others, that's one of the things that is, you know, really moved me passionately down this path of trying to create a more equitable environment so people that are following me don't have to prove it again. Clearing the path is something we talked about when it comes to gender diversity as well. Journalist and author Marianne Sieghardt had a lot to say about this and what we need to get more women in leadership roles. Well, actually, my main message is that it's not women we need to fix. It's the way that all of us perceive and react to and interact with women that we need to fix. So it's not really for the woman to change the way she is. It's for the rest of us to change how we behave towards women. And so if women aren't confident enough, we tend to disrespect them and they're not taken as seriously But it's not as simple as saying, well, you should just lean in because if women are confident enough, we often dislike them. And we start to use adjectives like abrasive or strident or aggressive or bossy, overbearing. You've heard all these. And these are adjectives that are very rarely used of men. So, you know, if if we say that a male CEO is tough, we admire him. If a female CEO is tough, she's a bitch. Absolutely. And look, much of it comes down to intention, right? You need to commit to increase diversity and to actually ensure that there's equity for everyone in the workplace. Another inspirational trailblazer that I loved speaking to this past year was Sally Krawcheck, who you know well, CEO of Elevest. And she talked about staying mindful of inclusion, particularly as she's growing her own business. You've really got to be intentional about it. And you have to you have to you have to be willing to give an order. You know, I mean, at Elevest, we were at risk of becoming non-diverse. In our case, it was going to be a bunch of white women. And I had to tell people they could no longer hire until they could bring in individuals who brought diversity to the team. And so you have to really be intentional and you have to keep at it because we all have these embedded expectations and biases. And You know, you always sort of think just because we got from 20% women to 50%, it's going to stay. You know, it doesn't necessarily stay there. People who close their gender pay gap find they have to go back the next year and close it again. You know, I felt like I was almost on the back foot. I'd love to think as the CEO of Russell Reynolds Associates, I had been on the front foot. But Sally called me out, helped remind me that we always have to do more. Go back next year, close the gap again when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion. The intention here is for many leaders today to keep closing the gap, step on the gas, accelerate progress. So eventually it's not a going back. It's just a continuity of there being no gap. Taking a broader view, Clark, we've learned that before you have an intention to make an impact, you actually need to define your purpose, which again came up in several conversations this past year. Defining a clear purpose was a critical first step on issues like diversity, sustainability, the great resignation, the list goes on, right? Purpose, we also found, can be an anchor in times of challenge or crisis. Being a world leader certainly comes with its fair share of challenges that people depend on you to resolve. I found the conversation with former Prime Minister of Australia, Julia Gillard, fascinating, and she had some really great advice on how she uses purpose as a guide through times of crisis. Uh, When I became Prime Minister, a friend of mine said to me, you need to take the time to write down 
uh, what it is that is the purpose of the government you lead. You know, what's it all for? What's it about? And I did do that. It was hard to wrestle the time to do it. I And I thought, you know, in my head that I knew that, but there's something very clarifying about putting it down on a sheet of paper. And once I had done that, I kept that sheet of paper with me and reread that sense of purpose about the government I led on the worst days in the most flustered of moments. And it really helped steady me. And I think clarity about purpose is the thing that can help you be far more resilient in the moment uh, compared with almost anything else. And look, purpose has a direct impact on an organization's culture and the ability to recruit and retain talent. And it's something that I think almost every industry struggled with this past year, particularly in the US, given the great resignation. We talked with Stryker CEO Kevin Lobo about the power of purpose and how he uses it to really drive performance across the company. Talent and culture is really the differentiator for any organization, and certainly that is true for Stryker. And we're very focused on making sure we retain the great talent that we have. Part of the reason people love Stryker is our mission statement, which is together with our customers, we are driven to make healthcare better. So it's it's a very purpose-driven company. We have stories about lives that are saved, lives that are improved through the use of our technologies all over the company. But what we didn't have before was one metric that kind of encapsulated all of the lives that we touch. And we spent much of a year, it's not as easy as you think, to, to actually count the number of lives that you touch with all of our different products. But being able to have one metric and one methodology has been really terrific. McCann World Group China CEO Emily Chang, when we talked about her book, The Spare Room, she used the term social legacy, which she explained as being committed to leave something better than you found it. And she talked about why she prefers this term instead of saying purpose. And I didn't use the word purpose for a reason. Purpose Mm -hmm. is so overarching and so Mm -hmm. sort of overused. I picked these two words because a legacy simply means you're leaving something better than you found it. And social defines the space in which you want to leave that impact. And everybody then has a social legacy. And what's so powerful about this is twofold. One, instead of convincing each other on what is the thing that's worthy of our time and resource, we all define our own. So when we meet others who have a similar mindset, we can just amplify and we found our tribe. And the second thing is it makes us so much more effective at work. Because if we know what we stand for, we're then able to build companies and brands that stand for something meaningful because there's so much inauthenticity, whether we call it greenwashing or whatever, people smell that a mile away. So how can we lead meaningful brands if we don't know what our own meaning is? Purpose is truly the core of culture, action, and transformation, no matter how you view it or what your company does. You touched on transformation, Clark. My God, the world has changed a lot, especially actually just over the past couple of years. Technology is now at the heart of everything that we do, in large part thanks to COVID, actually, that's accelerated that both at home and at work. Digital transformation was kind of a buzzword before the pandemic. It obviously became a priority. But I think now as supply chains and the guts of operations are saying, oh my gosh, we need greater automation, greater transparency. We have to understand where our supply chains are working or not. It's accelerated that tech transformation even faster. 
One of our guests who led an accelerated transformation was GoPay CEO Aldi Hario Pratomo, who talked about how GoPay harnessed technology to change not just the financial markets in Indonesia, but actually, importantly, the lives of millions of Indonesians. He talked about how he went about replacing the point of sale credit card readers and why that was so critical to the merchants in Indonesia. If you want Indonesian merchants to have access to fintech, the first thing you have to do is lower the cost to get in the system. And mm-hmm. every device costs maybe like $200 roughly at the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to replace that with QR. And then, you know, I told my team, you know, we want to grow, right? And we want to get to like a million transactions by the end of the year. You're nuts. Who grows a thousand X in a year, right? Mm. But, we, you know, obviously we made a plan. And, then, and actually, honestly, my team just amazingly blew it off. We actually exceeded a million transactions a day by December. You look at what Aldi accomplished in Indonesia to transform GoPay, their partners, and their customers, and it's just incredible. We can expand that to a macro view and look at how global enterprises are transforming as well. At that scale, it can feel like turning the Titanic to transform not just the technology, but also employee behavior to make it happen. It's the people part of transformation that's often the most challenging. Microsoft's former chief digital officer, Jackie Wright, had some really good insight about how she goes about getting more than 200,000 employees on board when it comes to transformation. You could start by saying we need to be outcome focused, right, on, on things and understand the art of what's possible. Because if you don't understand the art of what's possible, you can't lead people to change to something that they don't even, they can't visualize, they can't understand what it, what it could be. And then innovate in an agile way, products to market faster, and you need to reward the right behavior that you want. These are the building blocks of how you transform an organization. And I think, you know, we're not done. We have issues, who doesn't? Um, we still have to work through how we create a, a culture that everyone feels that they can participate in, but we've made progress. And I think that's what's important, demonstrating progress, demonstrating the intent, envisioning and helping people understand the art of what's possible and how you get there and rewarding the right behavior. The art of what's possible. I absolutely love that. And Jackie was quick to point out that those steps or building blocks she mentions apply to every company. How you apply them will depend on your own organization's needs and goals, of course. Another industry that we talked about rapidly changing is the news media. More than 80% of Americans use digital services to get at least some of their news information. It's probably true around the world. But it's more exaggerated when you look at younger generations, with apparently almost half of the 18 to 29-year-old Americans getting their news primarily from social media. We talked about the current state of media, people's trust in the media, and the battle over disinformation on social media with legendary 60 Minutes journalist Leslie Stahl. Too many people are believing what they're reading from, from sites and from blogs and from social media and whatever, getting information that hasn't been checked, that hasn't been vetted. They're just believing it. They're buying it. And even worse, they're just going to the place that they know agrees with them. And it is a painful Mm. uh, moment to think that the public doesn't trust us. This democracy needs us. We're cleansing. We're the cleansing agent. Uh, We keep the country from falling into corruption. I think if you just came over to 60 Minutes and just were a fly on the wall for a day, 
Mm. And you would see how committed everybody is. And all, you know, the layers of checks and, and the fact checking that goes on, you, I know you would be impressed. Uh, it's a mission. We should all take her advice and do ourselves a service by just simply being more aware of where our news and information comes from. We may not agree with everything that we read, but actually how it's super important to make sure that we're seeing both sides of an argument. I completely agree. I I totally agree. Many of our guests were kind enough to share the advice they've given or received over the years that impacted their lives and careers. We thought we'd share a few of those nuggets of wisdom again for you in case you missed them. From my father, when I was going to university in the U.S., he said, you're a woman, a young woman, and you're black. If, if you ever encounter racism, it's not your problem. It's the problem of the other mm. person. So don't let it stop you. I was 18 plus 19 at the time, and I was saying, oh, what's he going on about? But it <laughs> turned out to be a valuable piece of advice. One of the pieces of advice I always give our new associates is um, be a real person. So many of them are so career-minded and just want to succeed and they're hungry and they want to work so hard. They forget that part of succeeding in business and and, in your career is also having a real personality and a real persona above and beyond work life to make you an interesting person. My father used to say, and I think this is pretty good advice, never do anything irreversible. So don't get a tattoo, don't um, drive with someone drunk and, you know, end up going through the windscreen, don't have a baby that you don't want. Yeah. This was all pretty good advice, except by the age of 40, I realised that I'd actually spent more of my life regretting not having a tattoo than having one. (laughs) (laughs) You need to talk to people, talk to people, talk to people. Mm. Life is a mosaic. And with every discussion, you add a piece more of the mosaic. Go to people you expect nothing from. You will only be surprised. And so this is what I'm doing today. Every day, I'm meeting people that I haven't met before. And this is true internally inside the company, but also outside the company. And I come with no agenda and we just talk. But by talking and talking about somebody else's challenges, you learn a lot about yourself. It was a me mocking that quote, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life. It said, you know, do what you love and you'll work every day over time. We're doing what I love. We're working it into the system and and taking others along on the ride. Do what you love and you'll work every day over time. Love that. It's certainly held true for me. I never imagined I'd spend over 25 years in one company. And so I love it. So I keep going. I keep going. I think being passionate about what you do and feeling that you have impact is what it's all about. And if you find a job that does that, then it becomes fun. I completely agree. You know, Clark, it's also always illuminating at this time of the year, at least for me, to just stop and and look back at what's happened the past year. I certainly don't do it enough. I force myself to try and do it at least once a quarter. What about you? Is it something that you do? For me, my year begins in September. I'm on a school year calendar, not a January 1 calendar. So I've always taken time in August to think, what am I trying to get out of the next few months that leads up to January? And I do it again at the end of the year. 
And that's when I make my list of to-dos or people or events or places to go. And I don't think this world of constant communication allows reflection. There's a nonprofit board I sit on that at the beginning of every meeting, they wait for everybody to arrive. And then a different board member each time gives a reflection on any topic that kind of centers the room to get ready for the board meeting we're about to go into. I'd love to do that more purposefully, either if it's a day or a week or a time of year. I think reflection will make me better at what I'm doing or what I want to get done, I guess is the best way to put it. What about you? Yeah, likewise, I've been trying to figure out my own version of sustainability, taking a step back and sort of finding the right balance to make life fun and sustainable, right? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I think after two crazy COVID years where work was busy, but we didn't really socialize much, we didn't travel, we didn't see people, I I think kind of going into next year, my reflection is finding the balance between the two, right? I think, as you said, it's so good to be traveling again. It's so good to see clients and candidates and colleagues and family in person, but I certainly don't want to go back to what life was like in 2019 in terms of the travel. And so for me, it's kind of reflecting to find the right balance and yeah, to make it personally sustainable. Couldn't agree more. The irony is that you and I have been asking questions of redefiners. And now we realize if we want to go forward and keep on doing this for a long time, we too have to redefine. Oh, absolutely. Well, that wraps up season two of Redefiners. We are so incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to talk with amazing leaders and changemakers, and thank you for listening. We've learned from and been inspired by each conversation throughout this past year. And as they say, though, the best is still yet to come. Season three features more remarkable guests and conversations. You don't want to miss it, so be sure to tune in to each episode. On behalf of Clark and myself, Thank you for joining us on our journey to explore how global leaders are redefining what it means to lead in today's world. We wish you and your families very happy and healthy holidays. All the best. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Redefiners. For more dynamic insights from leaders from across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or get in contact with us, Visit our website at russellreynolds.com. Find us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at RA on Leadership. See you next time. Do you have a question on leadership, career development, joining a board, or other topics you'd like to ask one of our consultants? Well, now's your chance. Email us at redefiners at russellreynolds.com for an opportunity to have your question answered on the podcast by one of our experts. We'll see you next time on Redefiners.